A torn ACL is a common knee injury that is usually considered irreparable and that typically requires surgery. But a study published in the British Journal of Sports Medicine challenges that widely held belief among knee experts. Focused on 80 knee injuries, the study found that 90% of ruptured ACLs showed signs of healing three months later after patients followed a protocol of bracing and physical therapy, suggesting that the knee may be more resilient than previously believed. This is Pulse Check. I'm Kelly Hooper. Global health scientists want the National Institutes of Health to revise a proposed policy change they say would harm international collaborations. The policy would require foreign researchers who receive NIH grants to regularly share data with their NIH-funded partners. The move would significantly broaden the current data-sharing requirements and follows a January HHS Inspector General report that found NIH didn't effectively monitor or enforce some of the terms of its grants. Scientists have pinpointed the gene that may be the reason humans don't contract bird flu. The gene, BTN3A3, helps to stop the avian influenza virus from replicating inside human cells and makes it more difficult for the disease to spread to other people. The discovery from researchers at the University of Glasgow could help health authorities stay ahead of the virus and monitor the disease, which regularly circulates in wild birds and can pose a threat to humans who come in contact with poultry on farms. And... As the FDA is poised to decide whether to grant the first Alzheimer's drug full approval in 20 years, drug makers are developing the next wave of treatments. Catherine Ellen Foley is here to explain. Thank you so much for having me. Drug makers are thinking about a new approach to Alzheimer's drugs. Can you talk a little bit about the drugs that currently exist to treat Alzheimer's? So the treatments that we currently have for Alzheimer's are pretty old. From about 20 years ago, there were four drugs approved that can treat some of Alzheimer's symptoms, the cognitive symptoms at least, temporarily. They can't actually stop or slow the disease. They can just give you sort of an extra boost if you're starting to experience some of that cognitive decline. But those obviously stop working after a certain point. There's one treatment that is a combination of two of these older treatments, and that was the last thing that was approved in 2014. But as far as new treatments go, there wasn't anything else on the field until two years ago, 2021, when the FDA granted accelerated approval to Adahelm, which is a drug from Biogen. Since then, the agency has also granted accelerated approval to Lakembi, a drug from Biogen and ISI. But these drugs, while they're different in the sense that they target something that is thought to be the cause of cognitive decline, a protein called AMP amyloid, which is sort of a hallmark definition of Alzheimer's disease. That's one of the presence of these clumps of these proteins are what doctors use to formally diagnose Alzheimer's disease as opposed to another form of dementia. Even though Adahelm and Lakembi go after these proteins and clear them from patients' brains, they still are really only able to slow the progress of the disease. In late-stage clinical trials, in addition to seeing this protein being removed, we saw that patients maybe would have about six or so functional months more than they would otherwise. And for patients that don't have any other options, this is a great opportunity. But in terms of huge breakthrough in the field, we haven't really gotten there yet. And what are drug makers saying about why they're looking to move beyond these drugs? 
Well, amyloid has been a really popular target for the last two decades or so. And again, that's because it kind of comes down to how we diagnose the disease. It's through the presence of some of these clumps of the protein. But it doesn't really seem like getting rid of amyloid is really stopping the progression of the disease the way that we would like. And we haven't seen a ton of uptake among Alzheimer's patients with these current drugs. So it's not a momentous pivot because there hasn't been a ton of uptake of these two recent drugs, but the field has been slowly shifting to focus on some of these other targets thought to cause the progressive cognitive decline, just because maybe there will be some more success, or maybe a lot of doctors I spoke with were saying they envision a world where we could have a combination of treatments. How does the Biden administration's decision to limit Medicare coverage of the currently approved drugs play into this? After Adahelm was approved, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services said that it would only cover drugs like Adahelm and Lakembi that go after amyloid for patients who are in some sort of trial and for drugs that received accelerated approval, as these two therapies had, it would only cover the drugs for those enrolled in a randomized clinical trial. Now, there haven't been trials like these that have been enrolling new patients for a long time at this point. There were none when Lakembi was granted accelerated approval in January. So that really cuts off access for a lot of patients because these drugs cost more than $26,000 annually. And for folks on fixed incomes, that's just inaccessible. Now, within the DOD, the group that covers veterans has said that it will cover these drugs for beneficiaries. But at the moment, there's not really broad access to these drugs. That could change as soon as next week if the FDA decides to grant traditional approval to Lakembi, which an independent of advisors recently recommended that the agency do so. And traditional approval, which looks at evidence saying, does this drug truly benefit patients in some way rather than looking at, is it removing the protein only? That would mean that Medicare would cover the drug for patients enrolled in a patient registry, which CMS says would be super easy for physicians to fill out. But a lot of physicians and patient advocates are saying that's still another barrier to access. So part of the problem is there isn't a lot of access to these drugs and drug makers are starting to think, what if we moved beyond amyloid? and we didn't have this restriction on coverage so more people could take these drugs if they're eligible. And just to put it into perspective for you, there are about 6.7 million people living with Alzheimer's disease in the U.S. right now. Because our population is aging, we're assuming that that's going to go all the way up to 13 million by 2013. And these drugs aren't appropriate for everyone living with the disease. That's the other problem. Like they're just really suited for people who are in the earliest stages. So we're still looking at potentially 100,000 individuals who could be taking this drug, could be potentially slowing their progression of the disease, but right now they're not able to. ISI estimates that even if it gets traditional approval, by April of next year, they'll have an additional 10,000 patients. So that's 10% of the reach that we would like to see. So now that you've covered sort of all the reasons that drug makers are looking to new ways to treat Alzheimer's, can you talk about the specific types of treatments that pharmaceutical companies are exploring? 
when we're looking at amyloid, that's one of the hallmarks of the disease. That's how we diagnose it. But there's another protein called tau that gets really tangled in patients that have Alzheimer's. And tau is a protein that you and I have in our brains, but in people with Alzheimer's, it gets really, really tangled and it sort of disrupts some of the talking that our neurons do with each other as we carry out day-to-day tasks. And so researchers are pretty excited that it seems like tau is more of a driver of cognitive symptoms of the disease than amyloid. It often also occurs after amyloid. So maybe there is a role for removing amyloid to prevent the accumulation of these tangles of tau. But we haven't tried removing tau directly. So there are some therapies that are looking to remove tau from patients' brains, similar to the way we're trying to remove amyloid. There are others that help the body stop producing these tangles of tau, which would be really great even going beyond treating Alzheimer's because tau shows up in all kinds of other dementia in other places. The other thing that I thought was fascinating is that there are a lot of researchers and small biotechs that are really focused on the brain's immune system. And some researchers think that part of the cognitive decline from Alzheimer's comes from overexcited immune system in the brain. So our brain has a pretty simple immune system. It's really these cells called microglia. And they're really trying to serve as like brain is a city. They're like all of the municipal services. And they just get really overwhelmed and really stressed when there's a lot of stuff that they should be removing, but they can't. So some companies are focusing on a therapy that would sort of redirect the efforts of these microglia and help them really remove some of the proteins we talked about, amyloid and tau, and see if that helps the brain function better over time. Other researchers and other startups are looking at, can we actually calm the immune system? Can we make it so that it's not as inflamed? And will removing some of that inflammation actually help? And there are some thoughts too, that maybe even the act of removing these proteins is causing more inflammation. So maybe if we can stop that, we'll see more improvement in symptoms. There are loads of other areas, but these are some of the most promising that we'll see in the nearish future. Well, thank you for that explanation. That is definitely fascinating. And I'm wondering quickly, can you just talk about when we might see these new treatments roll out? Yeah. So I know I just said the nearish future, but for Alzheimer's disease in particular, that is a longer time. So because it takes so long to do some of these clinical trials, even though they're in mid-stage or late-stage clinical trials, we're still really looking at a five or 10-year timeline, which isn't great, but it's a lot better than where we were 20 years ago. So in a perfect world, if everything goes really smoothly and we're seeing some great results, maybe a decade from now, we'll have a couple of different treatments. We can try to treat Alzheimer's more like we would treat a cancer, where instead of saying, you know, this is a one-size-fits-all treatment, we're going to remove the amyloid, we would say, okay, we're going to remove the amyloid. We're going to calm these microglial cells down. We're going to redirect their focus a little bit more. And we're going to tackle tau as well. And a lot of folks I spoke with are really confident and hopeful that a more holistic approach will lead to better results. Well, this has been very informative. Thank you so much, Catherine, for your reporting on this. And thank you for being here today. Of course. And that's our show. Our music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Afra Abdullah is our producer. Annie Reese is our senior producer. Our healthcare team editors are Eli Reyes, Dan Goldberg, Barbara Van Tyne, Beth Belton, and Sean Zeller. I'm Kelly Hooper. Subscribe and follow Pulse Check for a new episode every day. And subscribe to our newsletters where you can read this reporting. 
Pulse, Future Pulse, and Prescription Pulse. Thanks for listening.